0: Welcome to Super Sentai Buddies. This is episode 11 of The Spider-Man Who Loves Me, a podcast dedicated to the Toei production of Spider-Man. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is producer Mark. With me, as always, is my co-host and buddy, Brian. Brian, how you doing today?
1: Pretty good, man.
0: <laughs> I always imagine some variant of pretty good, man, because that is just how Dave comes out of the gate
1: every week. Yeah, no, it's absolutely the reason I do it.
0: i also happen to know that you're just working a bajillion hours of overtime in your life right now
1: it's not a bajillion it's only like (laughs) it's only the equivalent of one to two days more time uh a week so right you know
0: (laughs) and i appreciate and i'm sure the listeners appreciate that you basically walked in the door today and sat down to record this podcast to make sure we can get it out well we try I took, just as a teaser, and we're going to do the usual segments, as we always do, but I took a screenshot that I'm going to tweet out from this episode, because I was just so gobsmacked by something in this episode.
1: I, I mean, I can think of at least one thing, but I guess I guess we'll get there. <laughs> I will let you
0: know when we get to that moment, and you can tell me if it's what you're thinking of. But there's something from this episode that was so astounding, I just had to capture it in screenshot to share with our listeners.
1: Well, I'm on pins and needles.
0: <laughs> Today, Brian, we are going to watch episode 11, Professor Monster's Ultra Poison Assassination, But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about some movies. We're going to hit the five stars in a minute. And we're going to talk about some movies with the five stars, too. So it's all going to tie together. Right. This is all movie talk. It is. Not recent movies, mind you. Oh, no. I mean, I could share a little bit, I guess, about the Sonic movie. I did go see that with Ivy. Oh. She liked it. I liked it less.
1: Well, I mean... <laughs> You are not, in fact, the target demographic.
0: It's true. It played well to Ivy, who does like Sonic games and Sonic TV shows. So I think they hit what they were going for. And I will say Sonic and Eggman were both so fun, they almost redeemed a pretty bland movie.
1: So are, but are, what are I wanted- you telling me, I just because I have to inquire, are you telling me that Jim Carrey was not as bad as those trailers made it look like?
0: He put it together in a way that I would say for the first 20 minutes of Jim Carrey's screen time, I was not on board. And then I felt myself reluctantly really in somewhere around the midway point. Okay. And the final couple of scenes,
1: he really delivered. Okay. So what you're saying is they douse some sort of gas into the theater. (laughs) That may be the case. And it's
0: just the movie was a very cookie cutter fish out of water story Mm -hmm. it's the sort that you've seen in literally every children's cartoon ever there's an episode that is basically just this movie except for they stretched it out to cover 90 minutes and called it a movie fair enough Uh, ivy's major takeaway was she really liked it she wanted to know why it happened on earth and not in Sonic Land. Basically, and she didn't phrase it thus, but she was very annoyed that it was filled with humans instead of Woodland Freedom Fighters.
1: Right. So she has the correct hot take about source material. <laughs> right.
0: But she otherwise enjoyed it. Oh. Well, that's we good. also saw some, like, spies in disguise or something, some animated movie where Will Smith got turned into a pigeon. I'm not making that up. That's a thing.
1: I I don't know what to do with that information, so we can just move on. (laughs) Neither do I. I may bump it over
0: to a Spectre podcast to make them talk a little bit about it, (laughs) because it's definitely a sort of James Bond-esque kids comedy parody thing. Okay. It was weird. Anyway, I wanted to talk to you briefly, before we get into the five stars, about the filmography of the Coen brothers. Sure. Which to the... To the listener, may seem like a bit of a swerve, but listen, Brian and I watch a lot of movies. It's the thing we do together. It is a core tenet of our friendship. We consume film together.
1: A lot of film.
0: Along with friend of the show, Adam, who has also been watching movies with me since high school. So recently, over the course of probably the past four to five months, we have managed to watch every film written and directed by the Coens. To be clear, that is, every film that they directed, there are some that they wrote but did not direct, and we did not watch those. Right.
1: I'm pretty sure they wrote everything we watched as well, right? That's that's correct? Yes. I mean,
0: some of them were obviously, like, treatments of already existing movies, Lady Killers, True Grit, but I believe they did their own script passes for the remakes.
1: Sure. That is effectively true for the purposes of this conversation. (laughs)
0: But anyway, I wanted to chat with you about it because we're finally done. It's been probably four months, give or take, maybe a little longer. And I came away with it with a different opinion than I expected to, which is maybe what you want out of this sort of marathon, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So going in, I had seen probably in the neighborhood of eight to nine Cohen movies, maybe half their filmography.
1: Right. I think I had gone in having seen two. (laughs) <laughs>
0: and of course everyone's and familiar and most with like of another one sure <laughs> everyone's familiar with like the big lebowski yo brother where art thou i think most folks know true grit kind of the real big hits but they've put right. together 18 movies as a tandem which is really impressive mm-hmm. and what i ended up finding when we watched the cohen films Was that I was surprised by how much they were really all the same movie with just sort of different genre subversions, different settings, different framing devices. And I don't say that angrily. They're very different films in their own way, but they all seem to rotate around the same kind of core premise and conceit.
1: Which is...
0: Effectively, I mean, it is I've st- watched all these
1: movies. Right. Well, I know. <laughs> You've heard this. Yeah. We've talked
0: this out. But yeah. for the podcast audience, it is a sort of study of fate and causality and chaos and randomness. And the idea that humans don't really have any control over the chaos riding around them. And when they try to exert control, they just as often worsen the situation in an attempt to make it better. And so all of these movies sort of become case studies in following a set of cascading fate dominoes and watching the humans in that domino chain just sort of frantically scrabble around to deal with it as their plans fall apart. Yes. also and that's not a negative. Like, they make very many different kinds of plans and scenarios so they feel different right
1: i I mean another short way of putting it is uh eventually some group of people will want to obtain a thing and ultimately they will not succeed in obtaining that thing that's pretty much it money but the moral of the story is no you can't keep the money (laughs) (laughs) right that very
0: much is it it establishes something that is a want Often money, sometimes revenge or love, success in one's field. And then it lays out the plans for how they are going to get that want. And then really the movie is largely watching them deal with those plans failing. Sometimes there's a happy ending, not by the actions of the protagonist, but just because of kind of the randomness of fate. Sometimes there's not a happy ending and I think we determine collectively that we have a preference for the Coens when it feels like there's a resolution, good or ill. Right. We like there to be a resolution. And some of their films feel like they kind of just meander off without settling
1: on a thought. <coughs> a serious man. <laughs> right. So, uh, and I'll bring this up critically a serious man, very well regarded. And I think we all determined that. Was it the man who wasn't there? Is the good version of that movie? Yes, those two more than any are really very,
0: very similar movies.
1: Yes, except and the man who wasn't there plays
0: much better. Yeah,
1: we really liked one and we really hated the other. <laughs> yeah.
0: And part of it was just the trappings. Uh, a serious man is set intentionally in a very drab kind of seventies, eighties. Mustard brown colored suburban America, whereas a serious man is set in a very stark, grayscaled yep. black and white nineteen fifties. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, the, man, the man, man who wasn't, who wasn't there. there. <laughs> yeah. And so, kind of visually and thematically, the man who wasn't there is just a more striking film. But I also think it came to a resolution. It wasn't a happy ending. No, but, but it was it an came ending. to us. Yeah, it came to a conclusion where the other one just kind of petered out. Anyway, it's just been a real weird trip kind of walking through all of them and recognizing the core thesis of these filmmakers enough to see it playing through what on the surface are often very, very different films.
1: And we did uh, find a new appreciation for George Clooney while we were doing it.
0: True. Yeah. Really came to love George Clooney. And I think you had observed kind of as we watched the last one last week, how much you like, not just with the Coen brothers, but mm-hmm. with any director who is lucky enough to have a long body of work, how much you like a repertory player.
1: Yeah. And I the mean, idea we,
0: that filmmakers have kind of a recurring cast that they work with.
1: Yeah. We had a category for Goodman, Betterman, Bestman for John Goodman, right. <laughs> uh, Which was which was pretty great. And the Cohen's, of course, have a pretty deep bench. And I like it
0: in sort of serious filmmaking, like the Coen brothers, who managed to take, you know, Francis McDermott and Clooney and John Goodman and Toretto and all of these Busemi, yeah, all of these other characters, and weave them in and out. I also like it just in a goofy lighthearted nothing movie, like maybe my personal favorite Christopher Guest.
1: Okay. Maybe Hmm, my personal
0: favorite repertoire. Now, his films aren't necessarily my favorite films. I like them, most of Mm -hmm. them. But I really, really love, in part because they're all improv guys, I love that
1: recurring cast. I love his group of players. We'll probably have to put uh, Christopher Guest as one of the uh, themes of Movie Night at some point. Yeah, good point. Maybe He doesn't have a huge body. Maybe like... Ten, give yeah. or take. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're doing Wes Anderson, so. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Basically,
0: that wasn't even a star. I just needed an outlet to talk a little bit more about the Coens, because we're moving on to our next marathon next week, and I needed to purge all of these thoughts that were still kicking around in my brain. That's fair. So, Brian, this week, the five stars, and we'll keep them brief, but we want to stay within the cinema theme, is... Five movies that we feel are underappreciated. It's not to say they're not well reviewed. In some cases they are. In some cases they aren't. Uh, It's not to say they are good or bad or anything else. They're just movies that we like that we feel don't sort of have the audience that they should. Yes. Yes. If you happen to be a new listener to the program since, I guess, October, and this is the first time you are hearing Brian and I, we don't usually do the traditional five stars. We like to pick a topic and do like a best of top five listing. So, Brian, would you like to know what the first star is? It's not like you have an option. This is not our show. We have to follow the format. (laughs) I don't know what I would have done if you would have just said, like, no, I don't want to know the show would have ground to a halt. There I mean, we got a couple more stars episodes. to go.
1: Like, I I might only be giving you one of the stars, so. we we'll
0: have uh, to tell Matt we figured out how the show ends. You just have to say no once. Yeah. And Super Sentai Brothers is done forever. Uh, All right, star number one is a movie that I believe was featured way back when it came out on this very program, which is, hey, George Clooney.
1: Yeah, huh. Hmm.
0: In Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland is a flick that Disney worked on for some time. Initially, I think calling it 1952. It took quite a while to come out. It's directed by Brad Bird, a guy that I really like. And it is a movie that. Made it sits right in that weird space of it made pretty good money, but not enough money. Money. And it's just a film that sort of imagines a world where the Disney Imagineers are sort of like a secret society of optimistic, future-facing inventors who are trying to engineer devices to help mankind progress towards the next generation. And we see a sort of collapse into dystopia from that group. And the movie joins where the kind of high-minded dream is gone, and there's a new guy sort of figuring out what went wrong. And it's just this very optimistic and hopeful look at what can be the best in humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting sets, It's interesting scenes. It's got really good performances and a really clever narrative that I'm not going to get super into because I want people to go watch it. Right but it's just unfortunate that this unusual kind of non-tentpole franchise big blockbuster flick came out with a very positive and uplifting and thoughtful and hopeful message and just kind of died on the vine which is a bummer
1: it is cuz it's it's really a lot of fun like i it is a movie where if there is nothing else to like if you don't have a movie in mind to watch and you think of Tomorrowland, it immediately becomes the movie you're going to watch?
0: Right. I mean, listen, this is a movie that is carried by among others George Clooney, Hugh Laurie, Katherine Hahn and Keegan-Michael Key and directed by Brad Bird. That's insane. That's an insane list of names. Anyway, I won't I won't sit and dwell longer on why it was underappreciated.
1: Right. Brian, you what is You can appreciate star two? it now is the key here. Yeah.
0: It's still out there.
1: Go look it up. Now that Disney Plus is a thing, it's real easy to find. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what's star number two? Uh, star number two is what I find to be an underappreciated crime thriller, Lucky Number Slevin. This is
0: one I think you had to talk me into watching, and I sort of resisted for a bit. And doggone, you are very right.
1: I And it was a movie, I can't even remember how I stumbled into actually watching it cuz it's it's one of those things where i think i remember at the time when it came out uh, trailers or whatever i'm like nah doesn't doesn't look like something i want to see and i saw it years later so it has uh, Josh Hartnett Lucy Liu Morgan Freeman Ben Kingsley Bruce Willis Stanley Tucci and again it's, that's quite a list of names it is and it's basically it opens up with two rival mob bosses trying to get this one guy they pick up out of nowhere to basically do opposing jobs for them as these mob bosses sit in their towers, uh, waging their, like, f- mob war without ever leaving their buildings. It's got a lot of twists and turns. It's
0: funny. Um Yeah. It's another one that you can't get into too much because the plot is like part of what makes it interesting is some very major reveals that we obviously don't want to
1: spoil. Right. But it's it's slick. It's a slick film. I don't say that a lot, but it is. And it's it's just an enjoyable watch. Yeah. I mean, come on. Bruce Willis is a hitman. (laughs) (laughs) So enough about that, which I could go in more, you know, but I'd spoil the plot what is star number 3 i'm
0: just noticing a connection between stars number 2 and 3 because star number 3 also headlines josh hartnett oh no oh have we <laughs>
1: discovered something that we shouldn't have i don't know about this are we going to have to go watch josh hartnett movies now are we is it are we going to have to go do hollywood homicide is he in that
0: <laughs> yeah i think so yeah oh, star number 3 that's a three. film nobody watched is a film by director Guy Moshi called Bun Raikyu. And I don't know how to begin talking about this one, because I'm pretty sure you and I are the only people who know this movie exists.
1: Uh, I didn't... We made one other person watch it. Was it Eric?
0: <laughs> it may have been. So, Bun is a, like a multi-hundred-year-old style of Japanese puppet theater. Mm-hmm. That's not really what this is about.
1: <laughs> just no.
0: borrows the name and a little bit of themes. It's a sort of uh, generic martial artsy action movie. It came out in the early 2010s, I think. And it is the perhaps ultimate case argument for something I've admitted about myself for a very, very long time, mm-hmm. which is I will love a movie that is thick with style even if the plotting underneath it isn't holding up
1: that's good because there's going to be another entry on that list <laughs> in a minute
0: it's not universally true but often if you present me with a universe that i want to live in i'll go along for the ride even if the story isn't great this is part of why i love the second tron movie so much
1: oh you and those tron movies man
0: But Bun Q is a story of a post-apocalyptic civilization in the aftermath of, like, a giant worldwide nuclear war. And all countries have banned the use of guns, but the world is still kind of driven by outlaws and gangsters and mobsters. They just all fight using melee weapons, effectively. Mm Mm-hmm. And the film is the story of Josh Hartnett playing a sort of mysterious cowboy samurai style drifter rolling into the East Atlantic and making a run at the crime boss who rules that area. And the crime boss is part of what I love, has a cadre of nine killers who work for him. Mm hmm. And they're just numbered, number two through nine. And we get to watch Hartnett fighting his way up through the nine killers to get to uh, Nicola the Woodcutter, who, by the way, is portrayed by Ron Perlman. It's fantastic. It's colorful. It's dark and weird. It's that beautiful marriage of samurai and Western. The story is ridiculous. The acting performances are perhaps a little bit sketchy, but it is just pure fun on a bun. I remember accidentally stumbling on it on Netflix, Mm -hmm. and I think I got about 10 minutes in before I started frantically messaging you, telling you you had to watch this movie.
1: Right. I remember starting on Netflix and going to prepare myself a sandwich and then walking back into the room, not like two minutes later, and realizing that, oh... I need to watch this with 100% attention from the beginning, because yeah. <laughs> there is so much going on here. All
0: right. What is star number four?
1: So, your description of Bung Ku has reminded me why, in our minds, we always mix these two movies up. <laughs> and it's The Warrior's Way, which yeah, is, it is... It's a samurai western, again. <laughs> Maybe, maybe that's, (laughs) hmm. Okay, look, there need to be more samurai westerns, I think is what we're saying. But it's basically samurai uh, who's the last member of the Sad Flutes clan. Right. And, um, yeah, he's basically keeping the last living baby of the opposing tribe because he decided, well, I'm not going to samurai a baby, Right, and so he's basically kicked out of his order and hunted across the sea or whatever. Yeah, and he settles down in a western town, which is definitely like it. It's like a weird carnival almost. Like everyone that here is a good description seems yes. to be a retired carnival worker. Like this town is basically built around a town fair almost, and <laughs> like. They are having a completely different, separate movie where there is definitely like a local saying. It's a gang leader is incorrect. It's more like an, uh, like an army colonel. Yes, like that an feels evil like army it. colonel. <laughs> it's
0: like El Guapo from the Three Amigos, if he were darkly evil and military.
1: Right. This movie is not a comedy. We should stress that.
0: It isn't. It has it, some comedic elements, but right. it's
1: definitely not a comedy. And it also has some places where it gets really, really dark.
0: Yeah. Darker than I usually enjoy in a film.
1: Yeah. But it's also got gunfighting and samurai and gatling guns. and Yeah. And
0: samurai fighting gunfighters.
1: Yeah. it's It is... And it just has style out the ears. Oh, Oh, just man! So it it oozes so much style. Does the plot all hold together? I mean, what do you want? It's a samurai western, right? Does it have more style than a single movie of either of those genres should be allowed to have? Yes, it does. It It is stylish as all get out. (laughs) It's it it's it's just so over the top, absurd, and yet. I, for my money, actually really good at doing that.
0: It's a perfect version of what it wants to be.
1: Yes. And I, I, again, we just need more, more samurai Westerns. Mark, (laughs) what is, what is the next movie that, as I recall, is sadly not a samurai Western?
0: (laughs) The final movie, star number five this week. Is the late 90s comedy flick Mystery Men that came out sort of right at the height of Ben Stiller Mania?
1: <laughs> they were weird times, the 90s. They were
0: weird times. And Mystery Men is a pistache send up of comic book films, except it happened before all of the comic book films that you, the listener, are thinking of when I say that.
1: Right. I. It would be interesting if Mystery Man hadn't existed and then came out in this era. Yeah.
0: It is in a lot of ways. It is a kind of satiric send up of the latter
1: era. Joe Schumacher Batman films. I was under the impression that the Joel Schumacher Batman films were a hysterics up of the Joel Schumacher <laughs> Batman films. And they're,
0: it's a dumb film, but it's very, very clever. The dialogue is really snappy. Ben Stiller is absolutely at his best. William H. Macy is knocking it out of the park. And it really plays well against the tropes that you will be familiar with from superhero films. Even though, like I said, a lot of them weren't out yet, it's still a lot of those story beats that you will know and love. And it takes specific aim, because, listener, you may not remember this. In the 80s and through into the 90s, comic books went through this era where they thought what would really sell was if everything got gritty and real. And don't get me wrong, a little bit of gritty and real is great in a comic book, but there was just like a solid decade where that was what the entire industry was. Right. And that's sort of the era that Mystery Men is playing with. It's a lot of fun. So let's take a break, Brian. Let's watch episode number 11, Professor Monster's Ultra Poison Assassination. (laughs) Yup. And then come back. And talk about it. We'll be right back. Change the product. And we're back. Brian, how did that episode hit you?
1: It uh it hit me in a couple different places. Uh it did hit me <laughs> in the Department of Reused Footage. Boy howdy uh, And So many flashbacks. And uh there are a couple places where it got real real dark. <laughs> and due to having seen episodes of this show before, I wasn't sure how dark it was going to go. It not in terms of oh they won't go that dark or more in terms of oh no, oh no. <laughs> right. Remember, this is a show where we didn't we light a woman on fire? Oh yeah. Lots of people have died in Spider-Man. Yeah, like every best friend that Spider-Man has, dead. Yeah. It is not an
0: optimistic show. No. And Spider-Man calls himself an emissary from hell, remember? This is a show that does not take a lighthearted approach to the Spider-Man mythos. Nope. Which, to be fair, there's really not a lot of lighthearted in that mythos, so.
1: No, no. But... Peter Parker or Miles Morales or Gwen Stacy typically do not send someone to hell. It's true. (laughs) It's true.
0: All right. So let's get into this specific episode, because, Brian, we're going to open on Ishiro.
1: Yeah. I think I remember saying, like, when that episode ended, like, ah, I wonder if we'll ever see that kid again. And the answer is yes. I did not recognize
0: him right away. It took just a minute for it to click for me who this kid was.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll agree. I mean it's been, you know, a few months since the last time we visited the Spider-Verse, as it were.
0: But don't worry, listener, the episode has you covered via copious flashbacks.
1: Yeah. I I was actually very thankful for those flashbacks to mm-hmm. to remind us who everyone was. Um the problem, of course, is some of those flashbacks I did remember and then was confused on whether or not this was a flashback or we were just oh, overwriting yeah. my memory.
0: <laughs> so this kid here, Ichiro, is an orphaned boy who Takoya, who is AKA Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Right. sort of adopted after saving his life.
1: adopted adopted him in this sense of sent him to summer camp.
0: Yes. Adopted him by saying like, Hey, we're pals and I know you don't have any family anymore, but I'll be here for you. I can be like your older brother.
1: Right. He He gave him
0: a blood transfusion to keep him alive. So this kid's got a little bit of spider blood. Yep. Doesn't give him any spider powers to be clear.
1: Well, I mean, I I guess he needed more. Right. (laughs) There's, there's not a great scientific understanding of how blood works in this, this episode, but, you know. No, there it's is fine. not.
0: So Ichiro has been sent to an orphanage. Probably a smart move, to be fair. Takoya can barely take care of himself. I'm pretty sure if it weren't for his sister, his little brother would be in big-time trouble.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty true.
0: So... Takoya made sure that Ichiro was plugged into the system, that he's got somewhere to go. However, they don't stay in touch. And sort of the kicker of this episode, what gets this episode rolling, is that Ichiro has put together a letter because he misses Takoya.
1: Right. And the way he's going to communicate that he's missing him is saying, ah, you know, it's fun. Also, I'm being watched. Yeah, he's he's no dummy, yeah. right? I mean, this is a bad move, perhaps.
0: But he knows that if he just writes, hey, Takoya, I miss you, that at best he'll get back a letter from Spider-Man saying, yeah, I miss you too, bud. Because Spider-Man's not, let's be honest, he's not an attentive brother. He's not an no. attentive boyfriend.
1: No. He's only sort of an attentive hero. Right. So Takoya gets a letter from his little brother,
0: adopted kid he saved, that says, Hey, man, everything's going well. P.S. I'm being watched, as Brian indicated earlier. So, of course, Spider-Man jumps into action. He thinks, oh, no, it's got to be Iron Cross Army. Who else would be watching Little boyfriend of Spider-Man? Apparently, no one. No one, yeah. Ichiro absolutely made it up just because he knew it would bring Takoya to hang out. And to Takoya's credit, he does not get mad. He sort of understands what's going on. And then he just spends the day hanging out with Ichiru. Yeah. Motorcycle.
1: Swimming. Motorcycle at the beach. Perhaps motorcycle swimming. It's hard to tell. (laughs) Yeah. He was riding real close (laughs) to that water there. That seemed to be not in anyone's best interest. (laughs) It's a cute little sort of... Hangout Montage.
0: They're playing soccer. They're swimming. They have a nice day together. This episode is... In a a series that heavily features the narrator, this episode really heavily features the narrator. I'm not actually sure any characters ever drove the plot at all. The narrator basically couldn't shut up. He had to keep being trotted back out to tell us what was going on.
1: Is it just me, or is that something that is getting worse throughout the series? It definitely is. You're right on that. We are leaning
0: heavier into the narrator to make flimsy plots stand up. So the narrator pitches us to Professor Monster. Monster. The first chunk of this episode has been entirely Takoya and Ichiro. We're now going to see Professor Monster for just a brief moment as he explains to the Amazonists his newest plan. I'll ask you this, because I'm not sure if perhaps I am just being uncharitable to this episode.
1: You don't want to call this a plan? Did did this one feel really phoned in? Just like really phoned in. So, so, the master plan is, hey, we found a sea snake that's venom is poisonous to spiders. <laughs> and I realize I've used venom and poison in the same sentence. don't at me uh but <laughs> one i I would like to know why would a sea snake develop such a potent venom against a land dwelling spider? It's <laughs> a very good question I, I, and two, like. Oh, can't we just give him, like, ricin or something? I mean, is this why?
0: (laughs) He demonstrates it, too, by getting quite a good bit of this venom.
1: Yeah. And poisoning two very small spiders. Yeah. Now, granted, while this, this doesn't feel like the most try hard plan, at the same time, it did flash me back to. This is kind of where you start if you're building Spider Slayers. True. Like, valid point. If, if yep. I recall correctly, like numerous times, oh, let's fight Spider Man by spraying insecticide and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, it's. So I'll. It's a little lazy, but we'll give it to him. Look, it, he's got to come up with a plan every seven days right. to kill Spider Man. Sometimes you're going to be able to put together complex monsters. Other times you just need to fill some
1: time while you're working on the next big thing and you have to deal with the poison snake from the ocean. You you know what I've just realized also with this episode more than a lot of the other ones is the feature monster quote unquote has little to nothing to do with the plot at all and just kind of appears randomly and then is big later.
0: Yeah, like, he didn't even talk about making a monster. We don't learn his name till like no. three quarters of the way through the episode.
1: All this is, is uh, let's get some snake
0: venom. Yeah, this is Shinkaiyo, who as a monster bem, is just a snake venom delivery system.
1: It's not, it's not great. Nope.
0: All right, so Professor Monster tells the Amazonists
1: about this plan. It's fine. Everyone seems to be on board. Well, he's going to send Spider-Man to hell. Apparently, everyone is sending everyone else <laughs> to hell.
0: We'll talk about this more in a minute. This show has a weird connection to Christian mythology.
1: Which is which weird connection are you talking about?
0: Well, I mean, number one, the fact that Spider-Man is sending people to hell, which oh, I know yeah. in Marvel Comics, right? people, in fact, visit hell and heaven all the time. Yeah, sure. But there's going to be a moment later where I've got some questions about okay. broader well, the broader theological implications <laughs> of Christianity in the Spider-Man universe.
1: Okay, that's that's fair. Um, <laughs> I I also have some questions, such as um, why do Six Fidel Castros abduct Ichiru? <laughs> that is a real moment in this episode. <laughs>
0: Because they do realize, oh, hey, there's a boy here who knows Spider-Man. Let's go get him.
1: Yeah. And they send the Cuban secret police. <laughs> they sure do. It's amazing. Who <laughs> <You> just, like, <laughs> infiltrate an orphanage.
0: <laughs> do you need six guys to do that? <laughs> they, like, carry him out on their shoulders. Uh, yeah, it's... He gets it's super kidnapped. And it's very strange because the... Intro of this episode is, oh yeah, the Iron Cross has no idea about Ichiro. Nobody's watching him. And then immediately thereafter we say, oh, turns out the Iron Cross was watching him. The Iron Cross. (laughs) Ta-da! They go, they go kidnap him. And Spider-Man finds out. Brian, does Spider-Man find out because his spider sense is tingling?
1: No, his spider sense isn't, isn't, there's not enough distance for that.
0: How does Spider-Man... Noted superhero. Find out about the disappearance of this boy he cares about.
1: Interpol.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good old uh, Mamaya Yuzo. Interpol secret agent and Spider-Man best friend is here.
1: Yep. We cut in with uh, about a minute and a half of flashback of their first meeting, which <laughs> I was very confused about, largely because I remembered it. But also, they didn't cut into it first. They kind of cut into him responding like, oh, I know who you are, and then into the flashback where he doesn't yes. know who he is. With and no
0: was- visual or narrative clues that we have cut to a flashback. Right. There's nothing to indicate a flashback is happening. They're talking on the phone, and he says, hey, Spider-Man, it's me, Interpol friend. We should meet. And then the next thing you see is the two of them meeting.
1: Who are you? I'm this guy, Interpol (laughs) friend. We just
0: established that on the
1: phone. Right. And then we cut back. I'm like, I I guess that was a flashback. (laughs) It went on a little long. It did. And I... I get it. Like that was the movie, so if the movie wasn't shown on the television, like we gotta we gotta cut in that we got a new guy here who's showing up. Yeah, it is
0: interesting because the movie happened in between episodes ten and eleven. Right. We talked about it the last time we did one of these episodes. Yep. It introduced for a f- film that is a standalone thing. It got it's it plays every year. There's a or most years at least. There's a Sentai movie, which is just an episode length feature that plays in Japanese film festivals. And for a thing that is definitely a standalone piece that definitely occurs outside of the standard airing time for the episode, it introduced a very major piece of new continuity. Yeah, Interpol is now... Like, there's effectively a Commissioner Gordon in this show now. Right. there's a has radio access to Spider-Man.
1: Yeah. Super secret branch of Interpol that, um, you know, fights the Iron Cross Army.
0: (laughs) Right. And so this show has to introduce it through ham-fisted flashbacks, just in case you didn't catch it at the film festival. Yes. But for those of us who are watching it, as you say, 30, 40
1: years later... It's just an internet click away. Yeah. 50 years later, when did this thing air? I don't know. I don't want to think about it. I already feel old enough.
0: It does feel like we just watched that episode and now we're reminding us who he is. Yes. All right. So he says, hey, Spider-Man, bad news. Your little pal has been kidnapped.
1: Right. Good news. We think we know where he is. Bad news, in addition to all the flashbacks, I'm going to recap everything that's happened in the episode up to this point.
0: Yes. Absolutely. He's going to just spend some time reminding everyone what we just watched for the first eight minutes of this episode. Right.
1: I mean, I realize that it's probably because the Iron Cross Army is involved, but I did write, why does Interpol care so much about this child? (laughs) Then we cut to the kid
0: being tortured by the uh, by the Amazonas
1: in a deep freezer, like a yeah, warehouse shoved freezer? Him
0: in a deep freezer and insist that he is going to freeze to death unless he tells them who Spider-Man is.
1: Right. It probably would have convinced me that it was colder if the Amazonas was wearing like a parka. Right. Anything. Really? Yeah.
0: Oh, uh, We did miss right before. Ichiro got himself kidnapped. He was daydreaming about his fun day with his brother. That's true. And it's only worth noting because the episode uses that daydream as an excuse to flash back to a thing that genuinely just happened on screen five minutes ago.
1: I mean, that's like, that's some A-level flashback. (laughs) Right?
0: We, We had an abbreviated montage of a montage from the same episode.
1: Look, there is. They are. There are twelve dollars that they were given to make this episode. Twelve American dollars.
0: They blew the whole budget on the film. They got to save some money somewhere.
1: Yeah, it's all in that licensing rights for Interpol.
0: (laughs) All right, so Ichiro isn't going to give up Spider-Man.
1: No. And
0: Takoya is going to get changed into Spider-Man and race over to the scene, which
1: seems to just be like an office complex. Uh, It's an office complex with a hypothetically real good deep freezer. Yeah. Which uh, also involves the Monster of the Week, I think, spraying Ichitaru with... Is that the right name? It's not the right name. Ichiro? Yeah, Ichiro. he's spraying him with what looks to be possibly, I don't know, foam
0: maybe? Yeah, you know that like spray in insulation that you can get now? Yeah, it's, it's basically it's... like insulation in a can that you can spray in and then it expands to fill up. It kind of looks like that. It's very weird. What
1: is it's? I I think it's probably supposed to be ice or snow, but it doesn't mm. look like that. It looks more like shaving cream. It does. Yeah. Like when you get
0: to the bottom of the can of shaving cream and the pressure is mostly gone and it's a little liquidy and it's not quite coming out with that real like voluminous consistency. That's kind of what this looks like. It's very strange.
1: Yes. Uh, A little
0: bit, honestly, a little bit like cottage cheese is what it looks like.
1: What is also very strange is we couldn't use the ninder costumes in this upcoming fight sequence. Yeah, what's going on here? We're just fighting dudes. Uh, Said dudes with the cheapest looking toy swords I have ever seen in someone wanting me to believe them otherwise.
0: Those were just foam cutouts, right? Those were foam swords. (laughs)
1: They were the cheapest things I have ever seen.
0: And we're not talking like high quality year 2020 LARPing foam weapons. No, we are not. We're talking about it at the Five and Dime on the Five side of the store. Some of those may have been cardboard. (laughs) It's amazing. Why are they fighting Spider-Man with swords? Who knows? I don't
1: know. Why aren't they Ninders? We actually had a far shot where Spider-Man sees, like, far away six guys turn into Ninders. But those aren't the guys he's going to fight. So, Nope. Meh.
0: It's ve- this episode's very weird. The bad guys go from being Ninders throughout the first ten episodes to being Fidel Castros and, I don't know, delivery truck drivers? Yeah. With swords. Uh,
1: yes. Sort of swords.
0: <laughs> so Spider Man gets in there, he rescues Ichiro, he sneaks away with him, but they do get attacked by Shinkaio. The yes, monster with... Bem of the Week with spray foam attack.
1: Right. And also spear throwing attack. Yeah. He just grabs. Spider a spear. poison.
0: It's amazing. I really love that of all of the various technological devices that Iron Cross Army has thrown at Spider-Man, the thing that gets him is just a spear with poison on the tip.
1: Yeah, this is another one of those cases where you look at it and you're like, you know, just because you didn't successfully, spoilers, poison Spider-Man to death this week, it does seem like you probably could try this again. Like, you don't... (laughs) I I'm not aware. You don't build up an immunity to snake venom, do you?
0: Not that I. I mean, maybe there was only one of these snakes left in the ocean.
1: Oh well. I mean, <laughs> that's that's a bad move on Professor Monster's part.
0: So Spider Man has fallen prey to Professor Monster's plan,
1: which is stab him with poison. Right, poison him.
0: Professor Monster's least cunning plan, possibly his most successful, to the extent where there's a scene where Professor Monster himself kind of looks straight down camera and says, wait, what? Spider-Man's poisoned? He's going to die? How did that work? Yeah. It is as if he is shocked that his own plan connected.
1: I mean... I wouldn't be surprised. I, he's tried so many other things. Remember that time when they murdered a band? <laughs> yeah, and just just a rock and roll band? band. Yeah, just murdered a rock and roll band. That's something that the episode never really loops back to like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> the band, the actual people in that band, they've been super dead for weeks at that Real point." Real dead.
0: <laughs> so the poison thing works. It connects the secret Ocean snake spider killing poison hits Spider-Man, who, by the way, is not a spider, but is an alien from outer space. Right. Yes. Whatever. I guess that alien is also a spider.
1: Look, they're they're the origin of spiders.
0: And. This should be it for Spider-Man, this intense venom specifically targeted to kill spiders. It worked. They hit him with a spear. We yep. should be done.
1: Yep. I mean, not even emergency surgery is going to save Spider Man, which I don't know what kind of surgery they typically do for for snake bites. Um I yeah I, he just goes to the hospital and he's fine. Well it's a giant I, look, bummer. There's, Well, I mean, it could it could have been a giant bummer uh because of what had to be done at the hospital. And where I thought the show was leading us, true, yeah.
0: <laughs> so Spider Man goes to the hospital. Initially, they they find an anti venom, right? It's not How? really working. Who knows? I guess it is similar to other anti venoms that
1: they use. Like
0: right. it's a real good hospital. And there's a minute where it's like, oh, well, that was simple, yeah. <laughs> and then you find out, oh, but no, he's lost too much blood
1: yeah did you see any blood no i didn't even know that he lost too much blood i must got
0: lightly nicked in the
1: shoulder right what maybe maybe the venom turns blood into venom i don't know
0: Uh, okay yeah they cure the venom but hey there's still some danger here because spider-man is running out of blood And Ichiro, who you may recall was saved by a blood transfusion given to him by Takoya. Yeah. Ichiro, a child, an actual child who has been kidnapped and taken away from his orphanage with zero authority figures seemingly involved in him traveling to the hospital.
1: I mean, Interpol.
0: Just strolls up and says, here, you can have my blood and nobody questions this.
1: Take all of my blood. He, he specifically yeah. said, take all of my blood. Take all of this my is, blood. This is, in fact, because uh, he, he did not get an answer to his prayer.
0: So that's the thing I screenshotted.
1: Okay. Because
0: there's a scene right before he offers all of his blood, the narrator, who has been driving this whole episode, says, yep. Ichiro sat down to appeal to God himself. Yep. And then the next line, and this is the screenshot, however, his prayer did not reach God. <laughs> <laughs> I, what? I. Uh, yeah.
1: I was like, wow.
0: <laughs> is God just busy? I mean, I'm not here to to get into theological apologetics. Right, right, That's right. That's not what this podcast is. But sort of one of the foundational notions of God is that you can pray to him and he will hear you.
1: Right. And I mean, I, I have to wonder is it because. Like, is he only a god of humans? And because this prayer is for Spider Man, and Spider Man's at this point, like half alien does does God not like aliens? Maybe I mean, or yeah, a, you might be onto something. Or does God just not like this small child? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. Either way, like
0: God, why? I like that specifically this is a weird heritage split Mm -hmm. the episode doesn't say however you know god i don't know how to phrase this the episode doesn't imply that god doesn't exist but rather very specifically implies that god does indeed exist and was
1: just not listening (laughs) it's This show gets darker and darker. I mean, (laughs) it could be because Spider-Man is an emissary from hell.
0: Ooh, yeah, I think that's it, Brian. I think you've stumbled onto the point. Yeah. Spider-Man is an emissary from hell. Yeah. Headcanon accepted. Sorry, Spider-Man. God is not at home to you.
1: Right. I mean, we're going to have to go through a whole John Constantine thing later then. (laughs) But regardless... Ah, so
0: uh, he gives, he offers all of his blood, 100% right. of his blood.
1: Yep. And this is where I wasn't sure how dark the episode was going to go. Because Takoya's right. going to wake up next to his best friend from Interpol. Yep. And our Interpol friend is going to definitely describe it in such a way that led me to believe that, no, we drained that kid d- dry. He's dead now.
0: Yeah, he effectively says, oh, yeah, Ichiro, he gave us blood so that you could survive, and right. he's gone now. Yeah. And then there's a beat or two, and he's like, he went back to the orphanage. Oh, yeah. that oh, kind okay. of gone. Yeah, yeah. Well.
1: Because you guys definitely set up like, oh, yeah, we just took and um had this sick seven year old boy, and we drained all of his blood. Everyone here at the <laughs> medical facility was cool with it. Right. Uh, and yeah. And then we said bye. So. Yeah. But thankfully, the child
0: is fine. I mean, sort Itch. of fine. He does get intercepted one more time by Iron Cross Army on his way back to the orphanage.
1: Right. Well, I mean, if you look, Amazonas was clearly out in her hiking gear. I kind of
0: liked Amazonas in the
1: hiking gear. I, it's a good yeah, look. It, it is a good look. It's also an absurd <laughs> look.
0: It's oh like, yeah why it's
1: ridiculous why out of all of the times that you're surprising someone in the woods, did you decide like this time this, <laughs> this time, time I'm wearing the 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 hiking gear?
0: I'm gonna wear a natty sweater vest, yeah, yeah, it's interesting, so she just offs the two interpol schmucks
1: yeah the the two the two interpol guys just doing their job just bringing this kid back to the orphanage, she shoots those fools. Off a gigantic
0: bridge. Yep. And then Spider-Man shows up and we get what has now become the very familiar end of episode fight.
1: Yes. It is chaotic, frenetic, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and goes on for a while. We go through the entire theme song and then we break into an instrumental version of the theme song.
0: Yeah. Man, I was like, hey, bonus theme song. Because it always takes, that's just what they do. Like, okay, well, we've got 10 minutes of plot. And we've got like the four minute fight scene at the midway point of the episode and the four minute fight scene at the end of the episode. Yep. Which we'll play through the theme song and when that's done, the monster will grow. Uh, and Leopardon will take care of it. Sword Vigor, yep. we're out of
1: here. Bam. But this, this time turn Sword Vigor dead.
0: Yeah. But this time we did get some bonus instrumental theme song.
1: Yeah, because they really wanted to take advantage, air quotes, of the scenery here. Which is, I mean, we're already in the forest, but there are times when Spider-Man is just swinging and clearly Spider-Man doesn't know where he's swinging to.
0: (laughs) It definitely looks like Spider-Man is a kid playing on the rope swing out back of old Gower's Field. Yeah. (laughs) Anytime you see Spider-Man swinging, it is just the saddest thing because this Spider-Man... Does not look like a Spider-Man who knows how to sling webs at all. He's no. just sort of like sadly clutching a single rope and swinging
1: back and forth on it. Yeah, yeah, we. <laughs> it, this, it was not one of the better aerial performances. This Spider and this Spider-Man has had some good ones. Yeah, not not really this week. No, it's not great. There's a lot of it though, so you know what we lack in volume. quality,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> And then this monster that we don't care about and don't understand his powers and barely remember his name.
1: No. I think does in indeed grow scene. big. Yep. And Park that's kind of it. Sword vigor done.
0: Yeah. And then we're going to have a farewell scene on the beach between Ichiro and Takoya.
1: Right. Where, where we find out that, you know, the child is going to go into basically witness protection And I guess they will never see each other again.
0: Yeah. That's how the narrator closes the episode. They both stood there knowing that they would never see one another again.
1: (laughs) Why? Okay. I mean, like, not even after the Iron Cross army is defeated? Or is this the sort of thing like, well, we don't know when they'll be defeated. Never So we're going to send them somewhere. Then we're going to light all the paperwork on fire so no one can ever (laughs) find them again.
0: It's a weird episode because the parts of it that were working for me worked very well. But there were huge chunks that were repeated flashbacks, really extended fight scenes. I think we got 22 minutes worth of episode, but an even briefer plot than we
1: usually have. I mean, look look at the bright side. You got to have some deep theological questions asked. True.
0: The <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up this episode?
1: Um No, not really. This was kind of a pretty standard straightforward episode of Spider-Man. Like it yep. did threaten to get super dark with draining all of the child's blood, but we didn't do that. True. I mean, the monster of the week was a big fat nothing. Yeah.
0: We did flash all the way back to episode one, so we got to see Garia again. That's true. And I suppose it may be merits mentioning that there is about a 20 second scene where we do get to see Spider-Man's sister, Shinko, and his
1: girlfriend, Hitomi. Very briefly. And uh, his actual brother. Right, yes, and his brother to Cuz they're they're grooving to whatever the new hot tunes are on the radio. Is this like some weird product placement stuff I going on? I don't know. On? It's a
0: song that appears to be called Monster. Yeah. I don't know if that was a significant song at the time or
1: who I, knows? I don't know. What I do know is they're not connected to the plot, but they draw great attention to this hot new tune Monster on the TV.
0: They do. And they also point out just for good measure, even though we don't get to see Takoya and Hitomi together, mm-hmm. Hitomi does get a line of dialogue to specifically say, yeah, he's kind of a bad boyfriend.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't even he... call me. I don't even I don't I haven't even heard from him in weeks. Hatomi, <sighs> you could do so
0: much better. You could do so much better. All right. I think that's it, man. I think we are yep. done. So, as is our want, I will remind you that the Super Sentai Buddies is a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. You can find Matt on Twitter at Super Sentai Bros. You can find me on Twitter at RO Radio. You can look up all of the various other Retrograde Orbit Radio productions on www.retrogradeorbitradio.com. And you can find Brian. And follow the podcast that we regularly do together at Mount Olympus Pod. Again, just hit the website, RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com, if you want to see any of our other cool shows. And that will do it, I think, for this week's episode. So until we join you again, thanks for joining another episode of Super Sentai Buddies. We are the Super Sentai Buddies. I'm Mark. I'm Brian. And we will see you next time for the greatest show on Earth.
1: man